Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I'd heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of the emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. 24 thrones surrounded him, and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and a rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of the living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were all covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night they were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they existed because you created what you pleased. Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. I don't know about you, but... um, you know, I, I come from a family that was non-believing when I first joined the faith, but very quickly grew up, grew up in the faith around um, some teachings on Revelation where the book was very much uh, presented as a book of fear. Now, I believe that there's something called holy fear, which I will define as awe. But this sometimes was more of a fear rooted in shame, a fear um, that just kept you awake at night, uh, that was at times, let's just call it abusive. Everything that I heard around the book of Revelation was that of fear, of things falling apart, of the great end of the world, the uh, convulsions of a world that was just falling apart. And, and what was missing was this book is labeled the Apocalypse of Jesus. We've come to understand the word apocalypse perhaps in more recent years as like zombie apocalypse, a walking dead kind of apocalypse. But apocalypse means to unveil. 
to reveal. I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, when Jesus is unveiled to me, I don't think zombies. I think of a living king who was and is and is to come. One who is wholly other, deserving of my awe, but also one who is close like a brother, who loves me deeply and wants a relationship with me. I come to you uh, with fear and trepidation because it's revelation. And this is actually the first time I've taught through this passage in almost 20 years of ministry. But I hope that this is, this is going to be a teaching that will give you hope. I have a lot of thoughts running through my head and things that I would like to share with you about this passage, so I would invite your prayers for me as I try to stay the straight and narrow. Some of you know I enjoy rabbit trails. Um, some of you may not know who I am. My name's Tyler Hartford. Um, I work as a director of church leadership for a group of churches, um, and uh, Pastor Gene wanted to just have me give a quick introduction because they had the team up here as well, and so more recently, um, we have agreed that I would be a part of the teaching team here at Restore as well as a, a volunteer, but my full-time job is working as a pastor to pastors. So what I love about this is it allows me to do the big picture work, but then I can be deeply invested in a community that I've come to love, and I think the love is mutual. So thank you. I come to you with Revelation 4 because I wanted to tackle this passage because I think there's a corrective that we need in this culture, this Western world that we live in, that we have neglected the power of awe. We have neglected the power of stopping to reflect where our true allegiance lies. And a passage like Revelation 4 reorients us. It shifts us. It turns our focus towards what is necessary, what is good, and what is true. You see, as I've studied Revelation over the years across the broad spectrum of interpretations, I've come to firmly believe that this is a book of hope. When I was growing up, I was constantly afraid of, did I take the mark of the beast? Is, is the UPC symbol on our cereal boxes going to be used to categorize us as those who follow Satan. And we laugh, but now, well, what about RFID things under our skin? Is this the mark of the beast? You know, but there's another rabbit trail. The first time that the mark and the seal is mentioned in Revelation is the seal of the Holy Spirit. That comes first. I was so afraid of that mark of the beast that I missed out that there are those who are redeemed and set apart and have called upon Jesus as Savior and the overriding emotion in their heart is hope and love and joy that comes from the seal of the Spirit. This is a book of hope that is written for a church in the first century that was under heavy persecution. It is a deeply visual book that when you try to color and draw out the beast and the different things that are in there, they don't make logical sense. I mean, I always see this cute, cuddly little lamb that's the lamb of God, but he's got seven horns in Revelation. Try drawing that one out. 
That's a, that's the zombie apocalypse, a lamb running around with seven horns. But this is a dreamlike book. This is a book of vision written to a church that needed hope because all around them they were being killed, slaughtered. They were being created second-class citizens. The emperor was dipping Christians in tar, tying them to post and lighting them on fire to light up the banquets of the Roman Empire. And they're saying, who's in control? And John goes, behold, I have a vision of hope. So... If you're with me, I'm not going to have all the verses up on the screen this time, but if you want to look in your phone, Revelation 4, if you have your Bible with you, the first verse. He says, I looked, and I saw a door standing open into heaven. He steps out of time and space and location, and it was like I'm facing this way, and the door is opened up, and I see a window into heaven that is then, now, and later. It is above all time. And he says that I hear some, someone speak like a trumpet blast. And he says, come up here. I want to show you something. Now, those of you who may be familiar with Old Testament imagery, this has happened before. Moses is in the wilderness, and they come to a mountain, and there's a loud trumpet blast, and the Lord says, come up here. I have something I want to tell you. And he hands him the Ten Commandments and the book of the word of the Lord. The, the Torah is rooted in this very exchange, the beginning of scriptures. And so John is saying, I have a vision. And the door stood open into heaven. And just like Moses, I hear a trumpet. And the Lord gives me words to live by. The very beginning of Revelation says, those who hear these words and put them into practice, they will receive a blessing. I don't know about you, but I've read Revelation a couple times. That's kind of confusing. How do I put some of these things into practice? But today I hope to give you some handles. And then he says, instantly I was in the spirit and I see this throne and someone sitting on it and this throne has a rainbow under it and there's 24 thrones around it and 24 elders and there's lightning and thunder and they're clothed in white and they wear uh, gold crowns, and there's seven torches blazing, and there's a sea that is perfectly calm. Now, this is the challenge that I said to someone earlier, is that there's teaching, which kind of takes time and some context, and there's preaching, and there's going to be maybe a little more teaching today, so follow with me, but I do believe this will lead us into this place of saying we're preaching that Jesus is Lord and deserves our honor and glory there's a throne in heaven. There's, um, this is a common image. Christ the Pantocrator, the one who is over all. Seated on his throne that is a rainbow, surrounded by the angels and the elders. 24 elders, 12 tribes, which is the Old Testament, 12 disciples. Very simple. This is the whole of salvation history embodied in people that are victorious because they're wearing white and they're wearing the crown that the victors receive at the end of running the great race. It also is a beautiful layer of 24 hours. Uh, every single day, all day, all night, 
There's praise happening. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid and people talked about dying, going into heaven, it didn't sound that exciting to just spend 24 hours just saying, holy, 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 holy. I'm just saying, like... But as I've gotten older, I understand that there's a deepness and a richness to this. There's probably going to be more than that, amen? Please, Lloyd. <laughs> but at the same time, there is something about the posture, right, of holy, 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 where everything else falls away. All your worries, everything that you think is important is faded away in the gaze of the one who is, who was and is and is to come. This is the heavenly government, the throne room with the layers of thrones and servants. He is seated upon the rainbow of Noah, right? The promise of Noah, but he is also evoking the promise of Moses. And this is, you can't see the word, but this is like a depiction of Egyptian government, you know, pharaoh, government officials, soldiers, scribes, merchants, artisans, farmers, and slaves. Here's the deal. Every government has its main rulers. Every government has its ruler, its elders, its middle class, its servants. I don't like saying the word slaves, but let's face it. Every country is built on the back of people who may be completely disenfranchised. And this is not a conversation about America. This is an acknowledgement that every human government has this pyramid. And so we hear from John that God has a pyramid, and it's better than anything else that humans have to offer. So now I'm going to slip into a couple of context things, just to, for those of you who need some more visual. You see, in the first century, there were coins being used by Domitian. So right around the time of this book being written, around 70 to 80 AD, Domitian released coins that supported his divine authority to rule. And on the backside of this coin, he put his baby son sitting on a globe with seven blazing torches around her. Huh. Did we just read about blazing torches? So John's even talking about something that people have in their coin purse. And it says around there that this son of Domitian is the divine son of God. Wait a minute. Christians believe something different, right? What's the next coin? Another one that he gets. An empty throne of Zeus, who is the god of the empire. And Zeus is the god of thunder and lightning. And so some of these coins have, you can't really see it really well, at the top of it, there's a, there's a lightning bolt. So when John's writing about this throne that I see in heaven with thunder and lightning, it's not just about Moses, but he's also saying, listen, here's the deal. Domitian may be saying he's the emperor and he has the divine right to rule, but I know who sits on that throne. He has a name and his name is Jesus. Amen? Now, I'm going to say something that really blew my mind. Hear me again? Every government needs its mythology. So some of you may know, some may not. I worked as a political intern for a U.S. senator. Spent some time both in her office in Maine, where I lived, and also on Capitol Hill. I'm going to share this first picture. The dome of the Capitol is built for awe. It makes you look up. 
And at the top of the dome is a painting called the Apotheosis of Washington. Big word. What that means in Greek is the lifting up into heaven of Washington. The deification of Washington. So he is surrounded by the 13 angelic beings that represent the colonies. And on either side of him, he has victory and liberty. The next picture. What is he sitting on? Can anyone see? It's a rainbow. That's interesting. And all around him are the gods of war, of commerce. There's Mercury, the god of communication. There's Jupiter, the god of the ocean. And beside each god are three to four Americans from the 1800s who contributed to those fields. All in a circle. He has his pyramid. Hey, are you tracking with me? Go to the next one. He even is painted in the posture of Jesus the Pantocrator. And in other pictures, Jesus is pointing to the word, usually the Gospel of John, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Washington pointing to the founding documents of our country. And holds in his hand a sword, which in Scripture, Jesus says that the sword comes out of his mouth. It's the truth. So we'll go, we'll, that's good enough for now. This is not a judgment call on America. I love America. I'm a citizen. I love all kinds of things about this country. What I'm trying to illustrate is every single human government has a myth in place to evoke awe and allegiance. Just that theme alone makes every Christian stop and say, wait a minute, but is my true allegiance with this or is my ultimate allegiance with the global kingdom of Jesus Christ, the 24-7 kingdom that the sun never sets on? where there are believers of every tribe, tongue, and nation singing out to the Lord, holy, holy, holy. This reorients us. Who or what do we worship? At the end of the day, I know I just gave political example. Listen, it could be your, it could be your love of cars. It could be your, your business. It could be heaven forbid, it could actually be your family where you make decisions and your allegiance is totally about making sure mom and dad are happy and not what the Lord desires for your life. This is a conversation about where awe and allegiance resides. And so then in the center and around the throne, there are four living beings covered with eyes front and back. They're like a lion. They're like an ox. They're like a human. They're like an eagle. Okay, this gets bizarre. What do we do with this? When you actually draw these out, these are weird beings. In my world growing up, there were times when these animals were shown that this is terrifying that there's a winged lion that's going to come after you. But what this is, it's a visual and auditory collection of God's glory. It doesn't have to make logical sense. 
it's a it's a it's a it's a mythological in the way of like positive sense. It's a it's a symbolism that says that the ox is the domesticated animals of this world, the lion are the wild animals animals of this world. The eagle is the flying animals of this world and the humans and the angelic beings. Because all of the created beasts and humanity were created on the sixth day, which is a side trial, you know, the mark of the beast, sixth day, men and animals were created on the sixth day, but the Lord is the seventh and we are under the kingdom of the seven, not the kingdom of the six. Very simple but also really strange and disorienting. What does this mean that there are four living beings that represent all the spheres of the created beings worshiping the Lord 24-7? It says in Scripture that if we don't worship the Lord, the rocks are going to cry out. So somewhere in between, I think the ox, lion, and the eagles are going to cry out, holy, holy, holy. Another thing that happens with this picture is that later the church adopted the idea through uh, people like St. Jerome that each of these creatures represented Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there were ways that they took, I'm not going to get into it, but there were ways that they took each of those books and said, look, they have the hallmarks of an eagle. They have the hallmarks of an ox. And they would call these four animals the four gospels. At the end of the day, John is tapping into a long history of the Old Testament, similar to Isaiah 6 and other places, singing out, holy, holy, holy. In the book of Enoch, it says, which is an extra biblical book, those who sleep not bless you. They stand before your glory and bless and praise you, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He fills the earth, and here my eyes saw all those who sleep not. They stand before him. Blessed be you, and blessed be the name of the Lord forever and ever and ever. And so as we move out of these rings, we move into the next section in the Scripture, around verses 9 and onward, where these living beings give glory and honor to the one on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And the 24 elders fall down and worship the one on the throne who lives forever and ever. And they throw their crowns down before the Lord and say, you are worthy, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things. They exist because you created what you pleased. This is... Not that I advocate the series. This is the original Game of Thrones. The throne of Jesus against the throne of Satan. And I, gotta, I stand here to say that while this world is difficult, we have health problems, we have difficult relationships, we, we struggle at times, that there is one who is victorious and above all. We are to reorient our allegiance. We recalibrate. When we stop and we consider that these 24 elders who have been victorious ultimately represent us of the lineage of the 24 elders. They are victorious and they are faithful and yet they still bow down before the Lord. 
they take the practice of the time and they have these gold crowns of victory, which is, this is one of the ones that would have been from that time. That those who are winners of the race, all the honor and glory of the kingdom resides upon their head. All of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior walk about a world that has got a roaring lion of Satan, but at the end of the day, we have crowns on our heads saying that we as sons and daughters of the Most High and we enter into his presence, and we even give him back the crowns that he has given to us. Amen? It is he who we live and move and have our being in. We exist, and all things exist, because he created us. I'd like to go ahead and invite you to stand as we head into uh, the ending of this service. I always like to tell people that it is an honor to be with you and to talk about the things of the Word. I don't have any authority under, I don't have any authority to be here other than the authority that the Lord has given to me through the Word and the authority that you have given to me to allow me to speak and to speak of the word. Thank you again for this opportunity to share with you. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.